And first, I think it's important that you continue to remind yourself that you're sinful and that God rescued you in Christ by depending on his perfect life, death, and resurrection. In other words, continue to remind yourself of the gospel. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Fox Den. In this episode, I want to talk about how to grow spiritually. And to do this, I want to take a look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And to begin, we're going to look at a word that Paul uses. He uses the conjunction, therefore. Now, when somebody uses the conjunction, therefore, you can ask, what's the therefore, therefore? You see, every word has a purpose. And the therefore that Paul uses, it's there for a purpose. This conjunction connects what he's going to say with what he has already said. So based on what Paul said in the first 11 chapters, he encourages believers to present their bodies to God as living sacrifices. Now, at this point, it's probably helpful to see what Paul said in those first 11 chapters. Now, I'm not going to go into detail in the first 11 chapters. I just want to do a quick overview so we can see the flow from where Paul started to where we are in chapter 12. So first, Paul is writing to Christians in Rome. And we see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 7. And then in Romans chapter 1, verse 15, Paul tells them that he wants to preach the gospel to them. And then in verse 16, he says he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And then in verse 17, he says that the righteous shall live by faith. And by this, he's saying that faith is the instrument of salvation, not works. A person is saved by recognizing their sin and depending on the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So throughout the remainder of the first 11 chapters, Paul tells us the good news of Christ. He's telling us the gospel, this gospel that is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And then in chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, verse 20, Paul lays out the sinfulness of mankind, both Jews and Gentiles. And this is significant because the Jews thought they were good to go because they had the law. However, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says that nobody will be justified by works of the law. You see, the law condemns us because it reveals sin and guilt. The law is not there as a means to become righteous and save yourself. Therefore, no man will be justified by the law. How can you be justified by the law when you're guilty according to the law? So the law reveals sin and reveals your guilt. So you can't earn your salvation by obeying the law. In fact, you can never obey the law of God perfectly. And then in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and following, Paul says that the righteousness of God comes by faith. Did you catch that? You don't become righteous by faith. You receive the righteousness of God by faith. Do you know why believers aren't condemned, even though they continue to sin in this life? As they recognize their sin and depend on Christ's righteousness, they are justified and declared righteous. And they're not declared righteous because of their own righteousness. They're declared righteous because it's the righteousness of Christ that's put to their account. It's imputed to them. Listen to episode 4 where I talk about this in full. And then Paul tells us in verse 24 that we are justified by God's grace as a gift. Do you earn a gift? I've been around for lots of Christmases and lots of birthdays. 
And there's not a single gift that I earned. Every one of those gifts were given to me freely. Because if I have to earn it, it's not a gift. So it is with salvation. We are given this gift of salvation, this gift of justification, based on the grace of God alone. And Paul tells us the very same thing in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And this is the gospel that Paul is not ashamed of. This is the gospel that is the power of God to save those who believe. And then in Romans 4, Paul explains how Abraham was justified by faith and how the promise of God is realized by faith. Then in chapter 5, he explains how we have peace with God through Christ and that death came through Adam and life came through Christ. And then in chapters 6 through 8, he talks about sanctification And verses 9 through 11, he talks about the salvation of Jews and Gentiles. Okay, so that gives us a quick summary of the first 11 chapters. And certainly you can dig deeper in any one of these chapters and find different themes. And as far as chapters 6 through 11 go, I gave you really overarching themes. Now, looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says because of what he has said in the first 11 chapters, he urges his readers to take action. So what is this action that he urges? Well, he urges them to offer their bodies to God. In other words, because of the great grace and mercy God has poured out on you, offer your bodies to him as living sacrifices. And then Paul defines this living sacrifice. Presenting your bodies to God as a living sacrifice is an act of worship. This is counter to what we've been taught in many American Christian churches. They typically equate singing with worship, but worship is not singing. You can worship God by singing, and in worship services we sing. However, worship is not singing. The two are not the same thing. And this is an important point. Again, in many American churches, they've equated worship with singing or singing with worship. You'll hear worship leaders say things like, let's have a time of worship, and by that they mean singing. But there's at least two problems with this. First, as I've already said, worship is not singing. And second, this implies that preaching, prayer, and scripture reading are not worship or not a part of worship. Several years ago, D.A. Carson edited a book called Worship, Adoration, and Action. And that's a really important title because it rightly defines what worship is. Worship includes praising God, declaring how awesome he is. And you can do this individually through scripture reading, prayer, or singing. And you can do this corporately as well. We do this on Sunday mornings. But worship is more than adoration. Worship is a total life engagement. It includes action, giving yourselves over to whole life devotion to God. And what is the reason for this whole life devotion? The grace and mercy of God. Or said another way, you worship God by whole life devotion And you do this because you love him because of the grace and mercy that he poured out on you. Now, notice that Paul doesn't say, give your heart to Jesus. Again, this is important because many American Christians evangelize by encouraging people to give their hearts to Jesus. Well, this is problematic because first, this isn't evangelism. Evangelism isn't telling somebody what they should do. Evangelism is telling them what God has done. It's proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And then second, in Romans 12, 1, Paul says nothing about giving your heart to Jesus. He says that based on the grace and mercy of God, offer your body to him 
as a living sacrifice. And this is your spiritual worship. And it seems here that Paul has the Old Testament sacrificial system in view. When you look at Leviticus, it describes how the Israelites were to present offerings. And many of these offerings were animal offerings. And the priest would kill the animal and pour the blood out. And there's a couple things to point out here. First, these animal offerings had no power in themselves. Their power is in what they pointed to, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which would come hundreds of years later. And then second, these offerings were killed so they weren't living. However, since the offerings of the Old Testament pointed forward to Christ and he was crucified, there's no need for any more dead animal offerings. Therefore, your offering to God based on his grace and mercy which Paul discussed in the first 11 chapters, is you. Again, not your heart, but the whole you. Does Paul have the heart of a person in mind here? Well, of course he does. Your heart is part of who you are. Paul's not advocating an empty worship where you heartlessly go through the motions. As a matter of fact, the Israelites did this in the past. Isaiah prophesied about this in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. And there he said that they drew near to him with their mouths, and they honor him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. So, of course, Paul has the heart of a person in mind here. But it's more than the heart. It's all of you. Paul urges a whole life offering, presenting your bodies to him, which is your spiritual worship. Now, here I want to draw your attention to one more thing that Paul says about you as a living sacrifice. You as a living sacrifice are holy and acceptable. Now, the first thing to note here is Paul is speaking to Christians. So, Christians who offer their lives to him are holy and acceptable. And they're holy and acceptable because of their union with Christ. So, a non-believer who offers himself to God is not holy and acceptable because he's apart from Christ. So, it's important for us to note that he's talking to believers in Christ. So, being united to Christ by faith is key here. So you as a believer, as you offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice, you're holy. Now, holy means to be set apart. For example, when we consecrate the elements for communion, we take ordinary bread and wine, we set it apart for a holy use. And they're set apart to serve as a seal of God's blessing and to communicate the gospel of Christ to you. Now, because of your union with Christ by faith, you are set apart to be God's people. That means you are holy. And then furthermore, holy here means to be set apart from the world. You are called out of the world to be God's people. And that means that God commands you now to live as kingdom citizens, not as a threat of losing your salvation, but to live according to your citizenship. And it also means that you're not to live in the ungodly way that you did before you were a believer. You are now to fight against sin, not embrace it. And then also, as you offer your bodies to God in response to his grace and mercy, you are accepted. This offering is acceptable. You don't accept Jesus. God accepts you, and he does so because you are united to Christ by faith. He accepts the offering of your body to him in response to his grace and mercy. So what's Paul's point in Romans chapter 12, verse 1? Well, it's really a call to turn from sin and to live in holiness based on the grace and mercy of God. Take a look at verse 2. First, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. 
And that's an interesting word choice. What does conform mean? Well, to conform means to take the shape of something. Way back in my high school days, I played football. And we were required to have mouth guards. Now, I'm not sure if it works the same today, but back then, we had to conform the mouthpiece to our teeth so that it would stay in place. So what we would do is we would dip it in boiling hot water, and then we would stick it in our mouth. So as it's hot, you would bite down. And then when it cooled off, it fit perfectly. It conformed to our teeth. It took the shape of my teeth. So Paul urges us not to be conformed to this world. Now, there's a lot in this one little word. To be conformed to something simply means to take the shape of. So what Paul is saying is, you're not of the world anymore. So don't take the shape of the world. You're different. God has called you out of the world. Sure, you might live in the world, but you're no longer part of it. You're not of this world because God made you alive with Christ. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that you were seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That means that you're a kingdom citizen right now. You're no longer a citizen of earth. You're merely a wanderer, a sojourner, an alien. This isn't your home. So since you're no longer a part of this world, don't take the shape of this world. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't do what this world does. And then Paul tells them what they are to do. Be transformed. Now that seems like a really vague term to use here. What does he mean, be transformed? Well, to be transformed means to be changed. Something that's transformed is changed from one substance to another. So the mouth guard in football wasn't transformed into my teeth. It was conformed to my teeth. Had it been transformed, the mouth guard would have become my teeth. It would have changed from plastic to teeth. So we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed, to be changed from one substance to another. Now, to some degree, we have been transformed. Paul tells us that God changed us from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And he tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2. However, in verse 2 here in chapter 12, he tells us to be transformed. So this is a process. Certainly, you're changed from spiritual death to spiritual life. But you're also being transformed continually while you walk on this earth. Now, how are you to be transformed? Well, Paul tells us. You're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But how are you to do this? Well, let me suggest a few ways. First, you consciously fight against sin. And this means that you recognize what sin is and working diligently to fight against the temptation to sin. Now, fighting against sin is actually an act of faith. It's believing that something is sin and that that sin is displeasing to God. So you can see how fighting against sin is actually an act of faith. You see, when you fight against sin, you really believe that God exists. And then second, ponder on the truths of God. And you can do this in a variety of ways. And first, I think it's important that you continue to remind yourself that you're sinful and that God rescued you in Christ by depending on his perfect life, death, and resurrection. In other words, continue to remind yourself of the gospel. And then you can also continue to read the Bible you can listen to different podcasts like this one and others that are going to teach you sound biblical doctrine. Read solid books and articles. 
And then third, engage in spiritual activities like worship, prayer, scripture reading, and things like that. There's nothing magical about doing these activities, but by doing this, you renew your mind. You see, our minds are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to wander. But when you continue to remind yourself of your sinfulness and the grace of God, you continue to remind yourself of who God is and who Christ is. When you continue to remind yourselves of biblical truth, you're renewing your mind. Now, Paul tells us why we are to be transformed. When we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, we will discern the will of God. Now, by knowing the will of God, Paul doesn't mean knowing what you're to do with your life. He means discerning the will of God so that you will conduct yourself in this life as a kingdom citizen. So you're to be transformed in order to live as a kingdom citizen while you're here on earth. We are called to live as kingdom citizens now. And part of this is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And as you renew your mind, you will be transformed, which means that you will grow in Christ. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.